Hello and welcome back to the Digital Distillery Podcast, where we take you to those world-famous landmark landmarks and the digital marketing events that are popping up all over the place in 2023. So far this year, we've already visited Vienna, Madrid and Paris, with London, Innsbruck, Milan and Berlin yet to come. Phew, it's going to be a big September, but for right now, there is a little break in the waves of wonderfully unrelenting travel and content. <sighs> Okay, that's enough serenity, because we need to take this dilaic gift of time to catch up on some of the hot topics that have been buzzing around of late. Today, spurred by a relatively recent mini-shock within the industry involving some of its biggest players, we're going to talk about advertising standards. Now, don't everyone drop your iced lattes in uncontrollable Beatlesque excitement all at once. It sounds a little dry, I know. But advertising standards are hugely important to maintaining a safe, quality and more sustainable online environment which, when done properly, everyone benefits from. So what even are advertising standards, where did they come from and why do we need them? In the early days of advertising it was really the anything goes wild west, not specifically the actual wild west. Although when I think of snake oil salesmen proclaiming the wonders of their miracle cures out the back of some decorated wagon, that is kind of the time period that I go to. Anyone could claim anything about their products with the knowledge that if you screwed people over too much, or didn't leave town quickly enough, you were fair game to be invited to a brisk but brief early morning stroll in the opposite direction of your disgruntled customer. It wasn't until commercial TV started broadcasting around 1955 that advertising was subject to legislation, which was easy enough to implement at the time since the landscape was government operated and relatively controllable. As the decades rolled on, these legislations and regulations were refined and developed to suit the changing environment of broadcast and television. The interactive nature of the internet came along and blew open the potential for creative misuse and trickery and it was the Wild West all over again. The first clickable ad was sold in 1993 by Global Network Navigator, the first commercial web portal to a Silicon Valley law firm. And you have to remember that this was a time when search engines didn't even exist yet. If you wanted to explore the World Wide Web, you'd have to go down a rabbit hole of website of the day type links. My dad says it was a lot like fishing, 10% brain, 95% muscle, and the rest just good luck if you wanted to catch what you were actually looking for. An interesting little factoid here is that these new banner ads also birthed the original, but short-lived, ad blocker. A narrow piece of plastic that you would affix to the bottom of your screen that literally blocked out those banner ads that typically appeared down there. Now it wasn't long before people started figuring out interesting ways to exploit this new form of advertising for their own gain. Which brought us to some of the colourful innovations that we covered in the last season's ad fraud episode. With the internet growing to be the world's primary means of advertising, from banner ads to video, it became clear that the internet also needed a body responsible for setting standards and guidelines in order to protect its users and advertisers. And today, the International Bureau of Advertising, or IAB, is such a body. Originally the Internet Advertising Bureau, the IAB announced its original set of eight voluntary recommended ad standards way back in 1996 in response to what they say was an industry-wide concern about the proliferation of some 250 banner ad sizes that were already being used. 
The most recent IAB standards come in the form of the new standard ad unit portfolio with the subheading Lightweight, Cross-Screen and Flexible Ad Sizes that implement Lean Principles. Lean, standing for Light, Encrypted Ad Choices Support, Non-Invasive slash Non-Disruptive. So that would be Lightweight, Cross-Screen, Flexible Size Ads that implement Light Encrypted Ad Choices Support Non-Invasive, Non-Disruptive Principles. Not a very lean sentence, sure, but I have a lot of love for acronyms, so I'll let it slide. Covering the three main headings, display ads, native ads, and new media experiences. These new ad portfolio guidelines are a comprehensive recommendation of advertising experiences that better represent the diverse modern online landscape of websites, mobile apps, social media, and messaging experiences, and even new digital experiences like virtual and augmented reality. All in all, it emphasises a better user experience, faster load performance, and non-disruptive ad content based on respect, control, and choice. That is, respect for a consumer's primary objective, i.e. consuming publisher content, the control a consumer has over their advertising experience, and giving that consumer the choice as to what content they want to experience and for how long. Okay, so that's all about the consumer, but if I'm an advertiser, what do I care what size, for example, my ad is on a website as long as it gets seen? Well, consider the pixel stuffing technique from our ad fraud episode. Like with pixel stuffing, your ad could be shrunk down to a near invisible size, but the publisher you're paying can still tell you it was placed on their website. Or, like my recent experience with Hermann's Heiliges Holzwerk truck that nearly took me off my bike the other day, in a bike lane, through a red light, and then yelled at me for getting in his way, your ad could be displayed in such a way that you actually build a negative association with the brand. I certainly won't be calling Haumann the next time I need some woodwork done. So for advertisers, IAB states you should expect your ads to be 1. Viewable, 2. Displayed next to brand-appropriate content, and 3. Seen by real people. Or in other words, viewable, brand-safe, and fraud-free. Another point of note is the recent update to the standards of what's considered to be an in-stream versus an outstream ad. In-stream ads are typically displayed along with related content, as opposed to outstream, which is just the ad itself and not matched or integrated into the content. This means that in-stream ads are far more likely to be effective, and as such are generally sold at a higher price. The definition of these ad formats has been somewhat in debate over the last few years, and as recently as March 2023, the IAB renamed and refined them as the following. Primary in-stream ads are video ads that play before, during, or after a stream within a video player with the sound on. Accompanying content, similar to primary in-stream ads, but the video content itself is not the primary focus of the user's attention. Rather, it's an accompanying addition to editorial content. No content or standalone ads are what were commonly referred to as outstream ads, i.e. standalone video advertisements not tied to any specific piece of content, and interstitial ads without video content that are the primary focus of the page and take up the majority of the viewport. Now all this standardization and defining of terms is clearly really important if you want to ensure that you're getting as much value as possible from your advertising dollar. And typically, it's safe to assume that paying to advertise with the bigger, more successful advertisers is well worth it since, in theory, they're more likely to be transparent about their standards as they have more to lose if they do anything dodgy. 
Google is that bigger advertiser for many, and they are very clear about their advertising standards. Google states that they aim to provide a quality user experience requiring all ads, assets and destinations meet high professional and editorial standards, that they only allow ads that are clear, professional in appearance that lead users to content that is relevant, useful and easy to interact with. So it was because of these rightfully upfront standards on Google's part that a stir was kicked up in recent weeks when it was claimed that, knowingly or not, they were flat out breaking them. A report from Analytics found a few worrying misalignments of these standards that were assumed to be so vigorously upheld. One of the services in question, TrueView, states that the advertisers pay for actual views of their ad rather than just the impressions. This is great, and you'll be familiar with these kinds of ads. These are the ones that will ask you if you'd like to skip the ad after 5 seconds or so. The idea being that an advertiser will only be charged for the unskipped ads or ads that have presumably actually been seen by a real person. What Analytics reported was significant quantities of TrueView's skippable in-stream ads appear to have been cropping up in places that don't at all align with these standards. Examples include instances where multiple videos for the same product were being auto-played concurrently and both visible at the same time, clearly ineffective and annoying for customers, ads displayed as very small, muted by default and also auto-playing without consumer initiation, and even videos appearing on made-for-advertising websites that were so overcrowded by other ads that the skip button was completely or partially obscured, making it difficult to spot or even use. And you can see what the problem here is if it's true. If you are an advertiser and paying a premium price for your ad to be actually viewed and not just creating intangible impressions, then you sure as hell want to know that when your ad isn't being skipped, it's because a potential customer is actually watching it, absorbing the message, and not just that it was auto-playing in the background somewhere and wasting your money, and carbon emissions for that matter, or worse, doing this and annoying the user while actually having a negative impact on that individual's association with your brand. This understandably sowed a huge amount of doubt in advertisers who were paying for these services and Google's credibility among the general public. Google, for their part, has disregarded these claims as largely unfounded and damaging to their brand, partially manufactured or skewed to create clicks, salacious news and intentionally hurt their company. Google have since responded in the form of a couple of blog posts, initially stating that the methodology used to collect these findings were inherently faulty and thus produced false results, that analytics used sampling and confirmation bias in producing the reports, asking leading questions, and that independent third-party reports flat-out contradict their claims. In a follow-up, Google admitted that even if a small percentage of their ads are unintentionally served in undesirable locations or formats, that wouldn't mean the clients were actually charged, and that if it were the case, it would be a very small percentage and their high-quality ad servings were well above the IAB's standards. In truth, both sides of this issue will be continually debated over the coming months, I'm sure. Regulations and guidelines will undoubtedly be shaken up once again as we try to keep up with this constant and increasingly rapid reshaping of the digital landscape, no matter what, this conversation around standards and safety is nowhere near over. And when purchasing ad space, you really need to do your homework on whoever you're working with and the quality of the environments that they will be likely served in. Thank you for joining us today on the Digital Distillery Podcast. And if you're interested in hearing more about the digital landscape and specifically how it impacts the environment, 
you can head over to our show, Green About Media, where we have a whole season on the topic. And we have a whole heap of new, exciting content in the works for season two of Green About Media that I can't wait to talk more about, but not yet. If you want to hear from professionals in the media and advertising industry talk about leadership and their experiences, you can check out our executive producer, Nadia Koski's show, Women Lead. Links to those shows in the show notes, and you can of course check out all sorts of other digital media topics and event coverage in the past episodes of this show. We'll be back next time with a follow-up episode on our coverage of the increasingly important world of attention measurement, where we hear from Mark Gulderman, CEO of Attention Metrics Company, Adelaide, and get his insight into the matter. And if the silly quotes and references in this episode went clear over your head, do yourself a favour and check out the classic Australian comedy from 1997, The Castle. It'll go straight to the pool room, and you'll thank me for it. That's all from me today, and thank you to the usual suspects, Nadia Koski, Dennis Kirshner, and Stephanie Leonardi, for making this and all of our shows a reality. I've been your host, Phil McDowell, and I'll catch you next time on the Digital Distillery Podcast. 